As we continue in worship this morning, we are coming to the time for our scripture reading and our sermon. But before we do that, we wanted to do an acknowledgement that seemed to be appropriate this week in the whole area of racism and anti-racism. This week, the federal government formally recognized one of the darkest chapters in Canadian history as an event of national significance. The press release from the government said, from this day forward, the residential school system will be designated as an event of national historic significance, which will help to educate all Canadians on the system and its consequences and ensure that this part of our history is never forgotten or repeated. And as part of that, they designated two sites, two former residential schools as national historic sites. One, the Portage La Prairie Residential School, and the other, the Shubenacadie Residential School in Nova Scotia. Now, we have members of our congregation that attended residential school, and this morning we want to acknowledge their painful experience. We also have many other people of color who experience systemic racism and individual discrimination here in Calgary on a regular basis. And we lament that reality, and we want to commit ourselves to God's desire for restorative reconciliation. Our desire as a church is to be a diverse community that celebrates that diversity as a mark of the kingdom of God. We believe that racism has no place in the body of Christ, whether it's individual or systemic. And we want to stand with those who are hurt and marginalized by racist policies and with those who are fighting against racism and for justice in this area. For that reason, we've created a committee committed to helping us as a congregation pursue God's heart for racial reconciliation. And we've asked them to do four things, to educate on racism and anti-racism, to equip the body of Christ to live anti-racist lives, to empower those who are marginalized by racist policies, and help support those working for justice. And it just seems fitting that we would in a moment of prayer, just come to God about this, about what's happening in our society and about what we desire to happen in our church. So let's pray together. Father God, we lament the reality of racism in our society and in our lives. And we pray that you would grant us wisdom and compassion as we pursue your heart for racial reconciliation. We pray for open minds and open hearts that you would show us where we need to be more Christ-like, that you would help us to discern these things that divide us and help us bring them to the light. We pray, God, that you would illuminate our path to reconciliation and help us to look at our own hearts and thoughts, that you would use us as vessels of your Holy Spirit so we may be your hands and feet to spread your desire for the reconciliation of your children. Father, we pray that you would equip us to be bridge builders for your kingdom. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In our sermons, we've been walking our way through the chapter 11 of Hebrews. It's a chapter about faith, and it's the heroes of the faith. Uh, I, think of it as the, uh, <clears throat> I think of it as the hall of fame of faith. And this morning, we finish up that series by reading the last verses of that chapter. So Hebrews 11, 
verses 32 to the end. After going through all these different people, he finishes with this, What more shall I say? Time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Father, as we just read that passage and want to understand it more, Father, we just pray that you would guide us in our thinking this morning. May your spirit speak in our hearts. May we hear your voice. And may we be challenged as we seek to understand more what it means to be your faithful people. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We've been talking about faith for a good part of the summer. We've walked our way slowly through that chapter. And I just wonder as we did that, how is your faith this morning? And I imagine there's lots of challenges to your faith. Uh, we're back to school. And many have sent children or their grandchildren have gone back to school. And maybe they're homeschooling. Maybe they're doing something different. But one way or another, they're wondering about the decision. Did I make the right one? Will God bless what I've done? Some have lost work. I've been chatting with people whose jobs have ended this week. Some are working reduced hours or at reduced pay, and they're anticipating future slowdowns, and there's anxiety in the work world, and faith gets challenged. Some people are isolated, feeling alone, feeling completely isolated, and wonder about life ever returning to normal. Talking to some of our seniors this week, just knowing the pain that's there, from the isolation. And just as an aside, if there's any seniors in your life, I invite you just to give them a call. Our seniors need just that outreach of a friendly voice to be reminded that they are remembered. And I just invite you to reach out. But whether it's one of those things or something else maybe, question comes, what have we learned about faith from our time in this chapter? What does it mean to have faith? How much faith do I need? What do I need to have faith in? What if doubt keeps creeping in when I'm trying to believe? And I guess, you know, at the end of a series, I always ask the question, what am I supposed to take away from this? 
And this morning, I want to finish up this series by kind of saying three things about faith, about what it isn't, and then I want to finish by saying what it is. So I want to sort of clear the ground with the first three, and then I want to build on that with the last two. And I hope and I think you will be encouraged by where we end up. So the start. I see three patterns in the book of Hebrews chapter 11 that are sort of counterintuitive. And there's sermon notes on the web. You can download those or you can follow along uh, split screen or whatever your fancy technology can do. But here's the first one of those. Faith does not make us godly people. Now, as you go through that list of names, one of the things that you will see as you walk through that chapter of chapter 11 is that there's a bunch of people in there who aren't the most godly. And in that portion we read this morning, there's this uh, person called David. Most of us know who he was. He was king of Israel. He was the one who killed Goliath. He was the one who uh, led Israel into a great time of revival. But he's also the guy that ends up sleeping with another man's wife and then killing her husband when he gets her pregnant. It's uh, 2 Samuel 11. It happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing and the woman was very beautiful and very naked, but they don't say that part. So David sent messengers and took her. And she came to him, and he lay with her. And out of that laying with her comes that pregnancy. Now, David is included in this list of godly people, yet we don't call that a godly act. David is a person who is said to have great faith. We don't see that act as an act of great faith. And so the first point this morning is simply this. You don't have to be godly to have faith in God. And the obverse of that is also true. Faith by itself will not make you godly. It's a process we need to be involved in. Now, this is no excuse to say we, it doesn't matter how you live. You don't have to be holy. But it's not a requirement that we become perfectly holy before God will use us. All of these people had their faults and their flaws. And so the first thing is faith doesn't make us godly people and doesn't require us to be godly people for God to use us. The second one, faith doesn't remove all fear from our lives. Now, if I ask you the question, kind of what's the opposite of faith, you would probably say fear. If I have faith and believe, it's because I don't fear. Yet what if those two are not separates, but what if, uh, surprise, surprise, they're a both and? What if you can have fear and faith at the same time? And you say, well, I don't know if that's true or not. Well, let's take a look at two more guys that are mentioned in this story, in this chapter of chapter 11. There's five judges mentioned there. And if you remember the time of the judges, which maybe you don't, but when Moses led the people out of Israel through the wilderness, and then Joshua takes over and leads them across the Jordan into the promised land, and then Joshua dies. And then comes this period of the judges where there's really no ruling. There's no leadership. There's just this power vacuum. And everybody did what was right in their own eyes, and most of it wasn't good, to be really honest. 
in a while, God will raise up kings of Saul and David and Solomon. But, but in that intervening period, it's this period of the judges, and it's a dark age. But out of that dark age, the writer of Hebrews finds five men that are examples of faith for him. And one of those is Gideon. I don't know if you remember the story of Gideon. I, I know our Old Testament tends to be a little rustier than our New Testament often. But here's the story in Judges 6. Uh, it runs for a couple of chapters, just one snippet of it. The angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash, the Abizarite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. The Midianites were the people that uh, kept attacking Israel at this point. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. I love that last line. The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. He's saying this to a guy who's hiding in a wine press, which is uh, kind of a uh, cave in the, in the rock. And, uh, and then he says to Gideon, um, God's with you and he's calling you to lead an army who's going to attack the Midianites. And Gideon, the man of great faith, the man of valor, says, uh, how do I know it's God? And then he proceeds to ask for three different proofs of God. First of all, he brings a sacrifice and God uh, just sets it on fire. Secondly, he asks for this fleece. And this is where we get this thing of asking for a fleece. And he says, I'm going to put this sheepskin on the ground. If it's wet and everything else is dry, that's God. It's that way. He says, ah, well, maybe that's just nature. How about if it's dry and everything else is wet? And it's that way. And Gideon says, okay, I guess this is it. Now, he does go, and he does raise an army. He raises an army of 10,000 plus, and God says, no, that's too many. You will get the credit if that big an army attacks Midian. So God whittles it down to literally 300, and they go and attack the Midianites. And they have this great victory. Well, that's Gideon, not uh, the most unfearful guy. But the next guy in that story is a guy by the name of Barak. And Barak is uh, even more the timid one. Deborah was a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth. And she was judging Israel at this time. So that's interesting that we have a woman judging Israel. And it's, uh, I think it's just a great thing uh, that that's in the Bible there. So she sent and summoned Barak and said to him, Has not the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you, Go gather your men at Mount Tabor, taking 10,000 from the people of Naphtali and the people of Zebulun. That's two of the tribes that make up Israel. And I will draw out Sisera, the general of Jabin's army, to meet you by the river Kishon with his chariots and his troops, and I will give him into your hand. And Barak said to her, If you will go with me, I'll go. But if you won't go with me, I won't go. The courage of Barak. And she said, I'll go with you. But nevertheless, the road on which you're going will not lead to your glory. For the Lord will sell Sisera into the hands of a woman. So Barak was called to lead this army against the Canaanites. But as we read elsewhere in that story, the Canaanites had 900 iron chariots. Uh, the Israelites had zero chariots and could not work iron yet. All they had was bronze. And if a bronze spear or a bronze sword hits an iron sword, the bronze sword gets cut in half. So he figures this to be a suicide mission, and he says, I won't go unless you, Deborah, go with me. 
Um, so knowing that this woman is probably not going to fight on his side, uh, he either needs her for uh, courage or to say last rites over him. One of the two. But anyway, he says, I'll go if you go, and she goes with him, and they do have this battle, and they do win. And at the end of it, uh, Sisera, the general from the other side, is running away. He runs to this woman's tent. She takes him in, and he's exhausted, and he falls asleep. And it says she took a tent peg, and she nailed his head to the floor. And that's where Barak doesn't get the glory. But this woman who uh, tent pegged this guy to the ground uh, gets the glory for it. But this is a guy that the book of Hebrews says is one of the heroes of faith. And the point is simply this. Um, in spite of their fear, they acted. In spite of their fear, they had faith. And sometimes we think if we have faith, we won't have any fear. And if we have fear, then we obviously don't have faith. And I think what the book of Hebrews is trying to tell us through that look at the Old Testament is that you can have both. They're not independent variables. Sometimes they come very much together. The third thing. Uh, what was the first one? The first one was faith doesn't make us godly. The second one is God doesn't, faith doesn't remove all fear. And the third one is faith doesn't mean we're going to finish well. It's not like, well, these guys are really evil and then God gave them faith to do stuff and then they finish super well. Uh, the third pattern is, um, well, sometimes we finish well and sometimes we don't. But it's that story of Samson, judge number three or four in the story. Uh, you remember Samson's parents were told, you're going to have this very special son. You've got to treat him special way because he's going to be used by God. And, and Samuel, uh, Samson just fails to live up to his calling. He struggles with it all his life. Um, he was addicted to two things, women and violence. Um, sounds like a country song somehow, but, um, and he ends up marrying this Philistine wife named Delilah, and, uh, she actually sells him to his enemies. Uh, so this is true love in all its forms. Uh, Samson loved a woman in the Valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah, and the lords of the Philistines came up to her and said, seduce him and see where his great strength lies, and by what means we may overpower him, that we may bind him and humble him. And we will each give you 1,100 pieces of silver, which is a fortune, right? Uh, in the New Testament, Judas sold Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. So uh, she goes through this whole process of getting uh, Samson's secret of his strength, which happened to be the fact that his hair had never been cut. And then she made him sleep on her knees, and she called a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. And then she began to torment him, and his strength left him. And she said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he woke up from his sleep and said, I'll go out as other times and shake myself free. But he didn't know that the Lord had left him. Now I have a really, really small collection of the saddest verses in the Bible for me, and that is number two. Um, he didn't know that the Lord had left him. Number one, actually, uh, is Jehoram the king. Uh, it's in 2 Chronicles 21. Jehoram was 32 years old when he became king. He reigned in Jerusalem eight years, died at age 40. He passed away to no one's regret. What an epitaph, eh? Passed away to no one's regret. But either one or two with Samson, he didn't know that the Lord had left him. This is the man of faith, according to Hebrews 11. This is the man who was called by God before he was born. And it, I think needs to make us reassess what it means to be used by God. Now, he will end life with a prayer on his lips. 
But it's a prayer that as he was locked up and blinded and his hair grew back and his strength came back, he was taken to the temple of Baal and he was standing there between two pillars and there was 3,000 Philistines there and he prayed to God, God, give me my strength back and then he pushes out these two pillars and the roof collapses and he dies and 3,000 Philistines with him. So his last prayer is a prayer of suicide and I just want to say he is in the hall of fame. And so sometimes it's, it's not, are we going to finish well? It's sometimes not, are we going to do well? It's sometimes it's not, are we going to be good? Sometimes it's not, um, will I do this without fear? And in those three ways and in other ways that we probably don't just have time this morning, Hebrews 11 is just not filled with saints who lived completely exemplary lives. It is filled with people who lived by faith in the midst of being very ordinary and sometimes honestly subordinary people. And if that is to clear the ground to say, whatever the preconceptions that we have about faith, we need to leave those down there for a moment. What is faith about? What is the positive that we can build on that foundation? And I, I just have two. Uh, again, a lot more. But from this passage, two. What is faith about? It is actually in spite of the person. All those things we're saying, well, it's because of the person. It's because of this, because of that, because of something else. No, no. Faith from God is in spite, not because of. Sometimes, in spite of doubt, they step out in faith, and they trust God to use them. In spite of a lack of credentials that anybody else would think would be needed, God calls them. In the midst of their humanness and the messiness of human life, they trust God. And I think we often think that God uses us because. Or we have faith because. But just as often, I think, it's in spite of. Someone said in a book about faith, it is God's work that counts, not the human vessel he uses in it. It's God's work that counts, not the human vessel he uses. You see, I think when we read the chapter 11 of Hebrews and we read about these men of faith, and well, they had faith, they had faith, they had faith. We look at our own lives and we get discouraged. We know we are not those people. We don't think we're the type of people God uses. And the question comes, well, what are the type of people God uses? Well, there's Abraham in that passage, and probably 99% of Abraham's life, pretty exemplary. But there's also Jacob's, his grandson. Jacob the manipulator. Jacob the one who couldn't trust God long enough not to try and just work things out himself. In that chapter, we have the Samsons who never quite live up to God's call on their lives. We have the Davids who do so well for so long, but then they see something and they give in to that sexual temptation. Or we have the, the Gideons who just need proof. God, I'd believe, but you got to show me. Or the Barracks who can't do it alone but need someone to go with them, the Deborahs of this world. What is faith about? It's in spite of the person. And secondly, I think, 
It's in spite of the results. Not every example of faith changes the world. I mean, the, the writer of Hebrews has pretty well cherry-picked the Old Testament to find the ones that have. But he ends, as you notice, with some pretty bleak stuff. And it's just sometimes it's faithfulness in the midst of struggle. Sometimes it's faithfulness in the midst of persecution. Sometimes it's faithfulness in the midst of things not going the way we thought they would. And sometimes faith is simply hanging on when it would be easier to give up. It's not the great result. It's not the world-changing result. Someone said faith is designed to release us to do in our day what the men of the Bible did in theirs. That faith not only transforms lives, but it transforms nations. And it does. And there are great examples of that. But not always. Sometimes it's a very personal faith. Sometimes it's a faith we think only we can see. And the chapter ends with unnamed people that go through all kinds of things who did amazing things just to be faithful in their situation. And I think there's maybe a warning in there as well that, that faith isn't motivated to do what it does because it anticipates a reward. Sometimes stepping out for God is the most dangerous place you can be. You know, someone has said, you know, and I, you may have heard this, uh, being in the will of God is the safest place in the world. <laughs> Read Hebrews. Sometimes being in the will of God is the most dangerous place in the world. There's persecution, there's all kinds of stuff. But God is there with us. And faith isn't motivated to do what it does because it anticipates some reward of security or calmness or peace. Obedience is its own reward. And in fact, doing that can be this dangerous way of life. In other words, what faith accomplishes isn't guaranteed. It isn't, I'm going to have faith in God and I'm going to change my family or I'm going to change my workplace or I'm going to change my church or I'm going to change my city, my country, my world. Maybe. But that's not necessarily what God's calling us to. Faith obeys God. God determines the result. And this story of faith is all about just being faithful to what God is saying to us whether it's big, small, or in between. Well, how do we do that? How do we have faith in the midst of challenge? How do we have faith in the midst of not feeling adequate? How do we have faith in the midst of fear? How do we have faith in the midst of sin? How do we have faith in the midst of persecution? How do we have faith in the midst of not seeing results? How do we have faith in all this? Well, it's what our faith is placed in that's so important. I got an email this week from a pastor who pastors another church. He'd written it to his church, and I just got a copy of it. But I think it kind of sums up a little bit of what I'm trying to say and it's sort of a, a different version of a story that Tyler told last week. 
But it's, uh, imagine you're hiking up a mountain and you fall off the mountain story. So that's the similarity. Everything else is different. But you, you hike up this mountain. It's a beautiful view. Uh, we're doing this church hike on the 12th. Hopefully this won't happen there. But, you know, you hike up the mountain. You're standing there. You've got this great view. You've got this nice drop and everything else. And you're taking this thing. And you decide to take a selfie. And you take a selfie. And you step back to get a little further away from the camera. And all of a sudden you're falling off a cliff. Clearly, it's not your best day, but as you're falling, you think uh, landing is going to be the problem here. Falling is not so bad. And as you're falling, you see a branch coming by you, and you think to yourself, I could grab that branch, and it would probably stop me. Now, here's a question. What determines if you reach out and grab that branch and you're able to hold on? What determines if that branch can hold you? Is it the size of your faith? Is it whether you believe or not? No, I want to suggest to you, the only thing that really matters is, is that branch really well anchored into the rock? If the branch is anchored and we're able to hold on, the branch will hold. If it's anchored, it can save you. It's not anything to do with us besides holding on. And I just think the same is true in our relationships with God. It's not about how big or how small our faith is. It's not about how deeply we believe or how much we fear or how much we doubt. It's about what is our faith in, not how much of our faith is there. Are we believing and putting our faith in something that can hold? And obviously, we're going to suggest that that is Jesus Christ. But this, this anchored thing kind of reminded me of boats because pretty well these days everything reminds me of boats. But it takes me back to my experience of boats. And I was looking up one time just how much of an anchor do you need to hold a boat? Well, they've done a lot of work on that, of course, because, you know, we do a lot of work on everything these days. And they figured out the pulling power of a boat in certain kinds of winds. Uh, and obviously, you know, as you can figure this out for yourself, uh, the higher the wind, the more the pull, the heavier the boat, the more the pull. So how big an anchor do you need in an average wind to hold your boat where you anchored it? Keep it off the rocks. And uh, the answer may surprise you, but the answer is you need two one-thousandths of the weight of the boat. So if your boat weighs 10,000 pounds, you need a 20-pound anchor. That's all you need. As long as the anchor's set, it'll keep you where you are. We, we kind of think, well, you know, if you're going to keep that boat there, you know, that anchor should weigh pretty close to what the boat... No, no, no. Two one-thousandths of the weight of a boat. An anchor that heavy will hold it in place. And I think that's true of faith as well. It doesn't take immense faith. It just takes faith in the right thing. Jesus said, I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here, and it'll move, for nothing will be impossible for you. And I think the story of faith in this chapter, we get confused with the size of our faith. We get confused that we got to be big people to have faith. We got to have big faith. We got to do big things. And what this chapter is simply saying is, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, 
if you have a little 20-pound anchor that you can pick up and throw out there, you can be anchored, safe and secure. Your faith can be what it needs to be. Because it's not your faith that's important. It's what your faith is in. And this whole chapter has been leading up to the 12th chapter of Hebrews. And in chapter 12, verse 1, it says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. In other words, work out the faith that God is calling us to. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God the Father. He's saying, what is your faith in? Are you looking to Jesus? Is our faith in God? Is our faith that God has begun a relationship with us through the death of Jesus Christ and is continuing this relationship with us? And when God speaks to us in the still of the night and says, I want you to do X, or I want you to continue to, that we have the faith to do that, that we have the faith to step out. Not because we know that we're such important people that God will do it with us. Not because we believe that our faith is so strong that, that we can't fail. But simply knowing that our faith comes because it's God that has this relationship with us. And it's God that's calling us. And this week, maybe in your quiet times, I just invite you to add a prayer to what you already pray. The question this morning is, are we willing to step out in faith for God? And the answer to that will come, well, when we hear God calling, will we respond? And it just takes me back to that story of Samuel, who's one of the judges that's named in this chapter. And when Samuel was a child, he was asleep one time, and he heard a voice saying, Samuel. And he thought it was Eli, the prophet he worked with, and he went to see Eli. Eli said, no, it's not me. And Eli said, here's what you do. When you hear that voice call your name, just say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And then be obedient. And I just say this week, let's do that in our prayers. Let's this week just say, Lord, speak, for your servant is listening. And I will be obedient to what you call. Because my faith is in you. And I know that that is the most important thing. Not how big the faith is, not how pure the faith is, not how pure I am. My faith is in you, and if you are calling, Lord, I will obey. This chapter 11 of Hebrews has been all about faith. It's been all about how do I live out this calling that God puts on my life to be his person in this world, and it can be in lots of different ways. But if we're willing to hear, to listen, to obey. God can use us to make a difference. And in pencil, we can write our name into that chapter 11. That we are one of the heroes of faith because we obeyed when God called. Father God, this morning we thank you for this chapter on heroes of the faith. 
Father, sometimes we think heroes are so different than us, and yet we realize in many ways they're just like us. They have foibles and weaknesses and challenges, and life wasn't easy for them either. But Father, we pray, may we be your people who live out the faith that you have given us, who obey the call that you put on our life to make a difference in our lives and so in the world. And so, Father, as we go into this fall season, Father, may we go in with this sense, this knowledge, this assurance that you are with us. May our faith be in you. May our faith be in Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. In Jesus' name, amen.